What does it look like for the Christian to live out the gospel in their everyday life? To live out the gospel means that we're continually seeking the kingdom of God, looking for God's presence in every circumstance, trusting him with every difficulty, living as he's called us to. So for example, right, uh, we don't become anxious and simply wish our anxiety would go away or bury our heads in our pillows or pretend like those present challenges don't exist. Instead, yeah, we feel the anxiety maybe deeply, uh, but then we inform our anxious thoughts with God's sovereignty. Then we're able to see the world as it really is. You see? So Christians have a firm trust that God is on the move. We're looking for the kingdom of God. We're seeing what, what he's up to, that God is always up to something. And it makes the Christian curious. Even in difficult circumstance, they're preoccupied with looking for the kingdom of God, looking for his rule, looking for his reign, and our participation in that. So being a Christian means more than admitting you've done some bad things in your life that you wish, you know, one day God's going to hopefully look favorably on you and give you a pass, right? It's more than that. Instead, living, living a Christian life means that you embrace God's kingdom, his reigning, his rule for you right now, whether you can see him working or whether you can't see him working. Michael Metzger, who's a leader in Christian thought, once said it this way, if the gospel that we're believing can't explain the things we do all day, that is the way they ought to be, the way they are, what you can do about them, and what they will be, then you have a gospel that can get you into the kingdom, but you will have trouble with thy kingdom come. So in other words, if the gospel you claim to believe doesn't translate to the rest of your life, you're missing it. You're, you're not looking for the kingdom. You're looking for something else. You're not looking for the kingdom of God because it's not translating to the rest of your life. People who are looking for what God is doing in every circumstance walk through their life with a different, a different set of glasses on. They, the lenses they have filter everything with hope. Filter every situation with hope, not despair, not animosity toward neighbor or another person, not loneliness or individuality, not ambivalence to the world, but hope and participation in what God's doing. Christians continually hope in God. They trust in what he's doing. They look for how they can be a part of his reign and his rule and his kingdom. And there's a lot of examples in scripture about this, but before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of, of stuff to work with when it comes to Christian hope and what Christian hope looks like. Hope is not just a you know, Christian word that helps the medicine go down. It's not something pastors just like talking about. Hope is gritty. It's real. It's got, it's got dirt on it. When you see the world through hope, you end up seeing situations differently than before. It informs the way you go through hardship or maybe the way that you deal with loss. As a Christian, it's different. How you face death is all of a sudden very different. It determines your attitude when nothing seems to go your way. In his work on, on explaining a lot of this, Metzger shows us a really helpful framework for how to apply the gospel, the message of Jesus, 
to our everyday lives. So as we submit each circumstance to a worldview, a Christian worldview, uh, Metzger calls it this. He calls it ought, is, can, will. So let me, let me talk about this for a sec. The way we do this is to look at every situation and submit it to the worldview, ought, is, can, will. Metzger, explaining more of this, says, the most common pattern that I've discovered, and it fits everyone, everywhere, is that we all imagine our life in terms of how it ought to be, is, can, or will be. It's a cosmic code. We think about life the way it ought to be only because of creation. There's a design in it. We only recognize that life is because of the fall. There is a default. There's a default. We only think about what we can do to make life better because of the idea of redemption. And finally, we only dream about what will be because we are made for eternity. That's final restoration. That's our destiny. The universal pattern that can only be explained by the gospel. It can't be explained by the Eastern family of faith. It can't be explained by Darwin or Nietzsche. So this is an example of how we look for the kingdom of God in everyday life, how we practice the gospel in the rest of life. And we will face situations, right, and challenges, perhaps suffering, maybe even evil. And we know deep down in our lives, it, it ought not to be this way. Maybe we don't speak in the king's English, but that's what we think. We feel it's, this isn't right. There really is something wrong with the world. And, and, and there's an uptick in our heart. We can do something about it. We try our best. But in the end, we trust that God will make things right. I love what scholar and theologian and historian N.T. Wright says here. He says, God's plan is not to abandon this world, the world which he said was very good. Rather, he intends to remake it. And when he does, he will raise all his people to new bodily life to live in it. That is the promise of the Christian gospel. In the scriptures, there's a story of a guy who almost ends up being a footnote in most of our study. But I think he's a shining example of faithfulness, of somebody who's continually looking for the kingdom of God. And, and what I love about it is he's doing this in the darkest part of the whole story. So if you have a Bible, you can go with me to Mark 15. It's actually going to be on the screen as well. It's Mark 15, verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. It's verse 46. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jose, saw where he was laid. So, what's happening here? What's the context of what we just read? 
Well, if you were to rewind the tape just outside of this little snippet, Jesus has been crucified and is dead, and he's hanging on a cross. Mark records a man named Joseph, interesting phrase here, looking for the kingdom of God. And Joseph takes courage and requests the body of Jesus for burial. And Pilate first confirms that Jesus really is dead and then releases the corpse. And Joseph honors Jesus in his death by giving him gifts of burial, a shroud, all sorts of things. Now, I understand that there's more going on in the story, but could it be, right? Could it be that Joseph of Arimathea, for whatever reason, is, is enabled by the Spirit of God to see this situation with eyes of faith? Let's ask the question, how is Joseph following Jesus? What does it look like for Joseph to follow Jesus in this moment? What can we learn from Mark's record of, of these events? So if you know the story, Joseph is given the corpse, right? They buried Jesus in a tomb. And on the third day, Jesus rises from the dead, right? Easter Sunday. And that's definitely the point of this story. But what strikes me is this, is that Joseph didn't know that that was going to happen. And he was still looking for the kingdom of God, right? That's what Mark says. He was still looking for the kingdom of God. He was still trusting that Jesus knew what he was talking about. Joseph still had faith even though he was holding Jesus' dead corpse in his hands. He still had faith that he could still find the kingdom of God if he looked for it. Right? Joseph looks for the kingdom of God, but, but what does he find? Yeah, even though Jesus was going to rise again, even though Joseph would see him again and get to touch his resurrected body and hold his hands and hug him, you know, I'm arguing right now that Joseph, when he was kneeling on the hillside called Golgotha, wrapping Jesus' dead and bloodied body in fresh bought linen, that it was there in that moment, in the darkest moment, it was there that Joseph found the kingdom of God. Joseph was out looking for the kingdom of God, and he found his crucified Lord, and he buried him. Yes, I believe Joseph still had hope that something was going to happen. Uh, no, I don't think Joseph thought it was game over for Jesus' teaching, for his disciples, for the way, but I bet it was tempting to think that. You know, as I was studying this passage, I started to realize what Mark was trying to say. And the, and the Spirit of God started to challenge my thinking. Could it be that Mark is incidentally giving us a picture of what it means to look for the kingdom of God, to have a way of seeing the world, to have a way of seeing circumstance? You see, Christians are preoccupied with looking for the kingdom of God. But God's kingdom is often hidden, right, behind a veil of mystery, and, and it can only be pierced by the eyes of faith. Joseph is demonstrating great faith, empowered by the Spirit. Joseph would have had no way of knowing what to expect. But if he followed Jesus closely, then he knew to expect something after the cross. He knew that something was going to happen. Uh, just in Mark's gospel alone, Jesus prophesies about his own death at least three times. Okay, so let's go look at some of these examples. In Mark chapter 8, 31, Jesus began to teach them, saying that the Son of Man, he, must suffer many things 
and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again, right? Verse 32, and he said this plainly. So Jesus is telling them what's going to happen. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus is teaching again. He, he's teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered up into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. So as if the disciples, I don't know, is, is he actually talking about rising from the dead? I'm not going to ask him. You ask him, right? So Jesus, again, more clarity later in Mark 10. This is what Jesus said, verse 33. See, we are going to go up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him. Look at the specificity, right? And flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So Joseph would have known this teaching, but he didn't really know what to expect. None of the disciples did. Half of them had left. Joseph, Joseph knew to expect something, but he didn't know what to do. He, all he knew was to keep looking for this kingdom of God. All he knew was to have courage that it truly is Jesus that I need to keep looking for. Do you want to find the kingdom of God? Mark is showing us where to look. Joseph was looking for the kingdom of God, and he found him in the dark. There's something uniquely Christian about Joseph of Arimathea. He looked at the dismal situation and trusted that God will make this right. He didn't abandon hope uh, because it seemed like everything was lost. He had faith to trust God with the mystery and love Christ, even in Christ's death. Joseph decided to trust Jesus even though he outlived Jesus. And he loved him because of this hope, this philosophy of hope, this way of looking at the world. Joseph had a philosophy of hope. He had eyes of faith. He trusted that God will restore what was lost. But he didn't know how. He didn't know when. He didn't know why. He only knew what to do next. He was going to love his neighbor, and he was going to love his Lord. We think about who Joseph is and his commitment to seeing God enthroned in the person of Jesus, that fueling him with courage to go to Pontius Pilate to reveal himself, the most powerful man in Judea, to reveal himself as a supporter of this guy. And Joseph asks for the body of his dead king, Joseph longing to see Jesus enthroned and then having to go to another ruler to ask for the body of his dead king. In the meantime, in the waiting, when it seemed like everything was going wrong, Joseph lamented. He loved his Lord in his grief and he honored him with gifts of burial. Little did good old Joel know, right, how pivotal his role was going to be playing in the grand plan of God's design. Now, 2,000 years later, the church proclaiming that we believe in Jesus, the church declaring its faith that Jesus was crucified, right, crucified, dead, and buried. Joseph buried our Lord. 
Joseph was being faithful to God with the little light that he had. So what does it mean to look for God in the, in, in the dark? What does it mean to look for the kingdom of God in everyday life? How do we live with hope? People who are looking for the kingdom of God live in a world and enter the darkness with the little light that they have and live by hope. They live by hope, not despair, not, not disease, right? Not a pandemic. They live by hope. They don't live in loneliness. They live with hope. And this is how we look for the kingdom of God in everyday life. Joseph saw Jesus on the cross, right? And he knew that he ought to be alive. He ought not be dead, right? Joseph knew. He, see, he sees Jesus on the cross. He ought not be dead. But Joseph isn't insane. He sees that he is, in fact, dead. And so he decided to do what he can, trusting that it will be made right. You see, this is how the Christian sees the world. The non-Christian sees it differently. They stop at what is. You ever heard that phrase? Hey, man, it is what it is. Can't do anything about it. Not going to try. You know what? We all say that, but we believed it too much. It's survival mode. It's maintenance mode. We believe, oh, it is what it is. I can't do anything about it. God always moves beyond what is. God moves and what will happen, that he will, he will make his way. The humanitarian goes a step further than the, non, the non-Christian, the, the secularly religious humanitarian goes into what can be. They see what can happen and then they go ahead and try to do it. But what makes that unchristian thinking is that they believe it stops with them and their humanitarian effort that if they don't do the work, man, no one will. And so their cause is the most important, is more important than any other cause. Because the world is unjust and we need to make it right. So then, so then there's guilt and, and compelling us. But the Christian goes a step further than that, right? Yes, we're right, humanitarians. We do, we do need to see things made right. We do need to do what we can. But we know that in the end, only God can make it all right. And he will. And he's asked us to do what we can to trust him with the rest. But that doesn't lead, Christian, hear me, that doesn't lead us to apathy. That's sinful and it doesn't suit us. Knowing that God will make it right, trusting that he will restore this world gives us unwavering hope. It gives us courage to go and do the right thing. That even if we were to lose our lives, God's love will go on. As you look at the world, as you face circumstance, are you, do you live in light of the gospel? Do you, do you have that kind of hope? Will you inform your anxiety, right, with God's sovereignty? Will you inform, the, you know, your, your lack of ability with God's ability? Remember, even when you're facing great darkness and difficult circumstance, like Joseph, Be filled with the courage of the gospel and know that God is there with you. Even though, like Joseph, you cannot cannot see it, you're holding his his very dead body. (laughs) Do what you can to trust him. You can still know him. Take the little light that you have. Trust God with the rest. That evil is not going to have the last word, that God will make all things right. As we, as we try to live our lives out for the gospel, we continually look to see the kingdom of God in all things. We're preoccupied with eyes of faith. What is God up to in my life? 
To the Christian, I would say if you're facing suffering or, or maybe even perhaps evil or wrongdoing by others, try to be curious in those moments. Go to God. Maybe it does take lamenting. Maybe it does take petitional prayer, but go to God and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this? What are you showing me in my life? To the non-Christian, I think this is a challenge for us today. My question for you is, is, do you have hope? How do you make sense of the world? Is it simply, it is what it is? Do you stop there? Take hope in the gospel. That God's promise is that he isn't going to abandon this world that he called very good, but that he is remaking it. That he's calling all things new again. He's calling you to new life in him. I just want to encourage you to, to be challenged by the gospel. See it for what it is. So what does it mean to live out the gospel in everyday life? To see the world as it ought to be for what it really is, what it can be and what God will make it one day, that we are a people who continually look for the kingdom of God. As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. I just wanna pray for you today. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would apply it to our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts and our minds to trust you. Lord, I think of the, the great darkness that some people are feeling. Lord, I pray for hope for them that they would see that you truly are with them uh, in their darkest moment. Lord, for those of us that need to be challenged to understand that you are a God of hope, that you will have your way, that we can trust that you are king, you truly are reigning. Lord, I pray for courage, that we would see Jesus enthroned, that we would do what we can to participate with you. We thank you for your great grace today. Uh, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.